Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and thank you for listening to Living Wealthy Radio. Heard around the web on LivingWealthyRadio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. Hi, Joshua here, producer for Living Wealthy Radio. Today's interview is really something special. In fact, it may be the most touching and powerful interview we've ever done on this show. People go through life hurting and afraid, but they have a choice. A choice to either pass along that fear and harm to others, or to instead be a source of love and inspiration to others. Teresa is interviewing a survivor of the Rwandan Holocaust, and her story of finding God and the ability to love her enemies is one that I'm sure will touch you deeply. While she had every reason to hate and become bitter at what was done to her, our guest says she actually found healing in Christ's prayer on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I trust that this story will inspire you and challenge you to rise above your circumstances and discover the power and beauty of forgiveness and love. Today's enriching fact of the day is that your mental state during meals can greatly improve your health. We've all heard that we are what we eat, right? But that's not entirely true. In actuality, we are what we absorb. And most of us are not at optimal health because we're not absorbing the nutrients we eat. Put another way, while many of us are spending a ton of money on high-quality, healthy foods, often organic even, we're simply not getting the nutrients those foods contain. And so we're not healthy. Studies show that our mental state and the way in which we enjoy our meals is just as much a factor in our health. If you're eating meals while driving or working or watching TV, your mind is not turned on to your meal and your body is not ready to absorb its nutrients. Physiology research has proven that digestion begins not in the stomach, but in the mind. For example, just thinking about a healthy meal you love is enough to trigger a salivary response in your mouth. You might even be noticing right now that the thought of eating a tasty meal is making you salivate at this moment. Why? Because your gastrointestinal system is not all there is to digestion. Your mind has to signal the body to open to nutrition. If you're stressed or preoccupied when you eat, you are forcing food matter through your system but losing out on its nutrients. And as a result, we develop heartburn, bloating, gas, constipation, and deficiencies. So, how do we change our mental state and optimize our digestive health? Simple. Make meals a ritual again, like they used to be in times past. Research actually demonstrates that a few deep breaths before eating enhances digestion. Smell the aromas and appreciate the beauty of the meal. Then, say grace or words of gratitude for the nourishment your body is about to receive. And lastly, chew your food thoughtfully and purposefully. Not only does this allow your food to be coated by the enzymes in your saliva, it just helps your body open up and turns your brain on to the meal. Today's enriching fact reveals that mealtimes should be a special time of appreciation, enjoyment, and receiving the goodness in each bite. Our health is not just in what we eat, but in how we eat. You're listening to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. If you're looking for financial strategies for growing and protecting your wealth, check out Bank on Yourself by Living Wealthy Financial. You never know where the economy is headed or what the stock is going to do next. But fortunately, you don't have to. 
Bank on Yourself offers proven strategies for families, individuals, and businesses to safely invest their money outside the market while growing and accessing those funds on their own terms. This is perfect for those of you who would like to fund major expenses like college, vacations, weddings, business expansions, and medical emergencies, or even create a stream of tax-free retirement income. Bank on Yourself allows you liquidity, tax-favored growth, and complete control over your investment. And it's guaranteed to grow, no matter what's going on in the markets. For more information, or to schedule an appointment, visit livingwealthyfinancial.com. Joining us today is Immaculate Ali Bagiza, a truly amazing human being with a powerful story of survival, forgiveness, and healing. I believe this is one of the most important podcasts that Living Wealthy Radio has done to date, more important than anything else we've done, and I think you're going to appreciate why in just a moment. Immaculate is the author of Left to Tell, discovering God amidst the Rwandan Holocaust, an award-winning bestseller that is currently being made into a movie, regarded as one of the world's leading speakers on faith, hope, and forgiveness. She's here to bring us on her unbelievable journey and share some of the most amazing work she is now doing in Rwanda and all over the world. It is my pleasure to welcome Immaculate Aliba Giza to Living Wealthy Radio. Thank you, Immaculate, for being here this morning. No, thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about your story of survival and how it influenced your faith and your business and other aspects of your life. Yeah, oh, thank you again. Huh. So my story really, hmm. I, I just thought when I was a child, I was in college before the genocide. I remember I used to think, I have no story. Everybody has stories, like things that happened to them. But my life had been just like almost same thing. Of course, I think the genocide started. So I lived through the genocide that happened to people of my tribe in 1994 in Rwanda. That time I was a student in the college, and it happened actually. I was home for Easter holiday. We knew it was coming somehow, but we didn't know what was coming. We just can feel there was trouble. There was like um, bad behavior had been given a stick. People would steal, and then there was no punishment as before. You know, it was just somehow like a, a chaos had been created. And people, journalists, would insult people of my tribe on radio. And there was not much to talk about it, to, to even condemn people like that, or those kind of talks. So we knew it was coming. So anyway, on the 7th of April, 1994, the light that started everything was the president of the country was, died, was killed, but he was really prepared. And right away, like 15 minutes after, they started to kill people of my tribe. Like, I remember two hours later, BBC Radio reported 18 families that were killed. Ten children, mom and dad. Eight children, mom and dad. So as we knew it was coming, they have blocked the borders. They shut down every activity. You know, they said they were looking for the killers of the president. But really what was being done was what they have prepared all along. So they were killing family by family. So my parents were worried. I was one girl, about, you know, in the, among three boys. They wanted to protect me. Everyone was worried about me. So my father handed me a rosary and asked me to go to hide the neighbor who was from the other tribe and who was a good man. Not everyone was bad at all in the other tribe. It was the government, the politicians, the very strong people in the country that were talking like this, but who were using the name of the other tribe who to, as if we, to make it stronger. So I went to the neighbor thinking I was going to stay there two, three days. He put me to sit in a bathroom of three by four feet with other seven women. The only thing possession I had with me was the rosary. My father had just given me as we were separating. And I ended up, we stayed, all of us, in that bathroom for three months. During that time, they were haunting us. We never spoke. 
we couldn't take it because it was a small house. And the man told us, he told the two, his children that he lost the key of the, his bathroom. So thankfully, there were two bathrooms in that house. So they, they, they kept asking him, let's fix the bathroom. He was like, no, there's enough trouble in the country. We don't need to bring people in our home. So anyway, three months later, though, I, everything has changed in my heart. I mean, the power of what thoughts and where we take them, the prayers I said, I say, I prayed from morning until night. Not the same way maybe I even pray now. It was that God was there. I would ask him questions. I would challenge him for things he, that are in the Bible. What do you mean when you say all things are possible? What do you mean when you say, if we trust you, nothing should be, you know, everything would be given? What do you mean with this? But then I would say, other requirements. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I'm like, no, I can't. So I went through a lot of changes because I felt like I had a calling in my heart. I needed to do my part, to expect God to do his part. So everything changed when it came out. Well, I, I want to slow down just a little bit to make sure that people understand what we're talking about here. You were living in Rwanda at a time when there was such um, political uncertainty that if things had changed politically, your tribe, your people felt that things could get really bad. So living living in an in a time when there was a lot of uncertainty, you you must you know I I can't imagine. We're living in in challenging times here in the United States, but I don't think people are worried about whether their political side is going to get killed or not, right? So you guys were living in this time. Your president uh, was killed, and all of a sudden, your tribe is targeted by the other side, and your family sends you to a neighbor who belongs to the opposite side for safety and for several months, you're living in a bathroom that is no bigger than, what did you say? Three by four feet. Okay, I just, four. I wanted to make sure that our listeners mm-hmm. understood oh, that sure, we sure. were not, that you're not exaggerating. And Immaculate, you weren't by yourself, were you? No, we were eight, eight, of, eight women, yeah. The youngest was seven years old. Others were teenagers, 12, 13. I was 23, and my, the older one was there. Uh, after me, was 55. For how many months? For three months. For th- we went in beginning of April, like the 8th, 9th of April. We came out in July. And how much weight did you lose? I... Literally almost lost half of my body. I went in, I was at 115 pounds. I came out 65 pounds. And you had to be quiet in this bathroom because, Mm -hmm. you know, from a political perspective, people were looking for, for you, not you personally, just your tribe, right? Yeah. Yes. Talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were looking for us. Such a terrible thing. When we, I mean, to this day, I think like, why people don't learn the lesson not to discriminate one another, groups of people. I, I remember the first thing that was making me suffer so much was that to wonder, I, I wish I can explain to them that whatever they're angry with is not me. I have a life. I'm not a just a tribe. I'm a person who feels pain. And I think they're making a mistake, you know, to find out it was we just evil, trying to do evil, you know. So we were there, they were saying on radio that they should kill, literally, like kill everybody of my tribe. I remember one minister, he said, don't forget children. A child of a snake is a snake. Don't forget elder people. We need to eliminate a whole group of people. So they killed people who run to stadiums, to churches. Uh, to anywhere with Republic places. And then they started hunting people who were hiding. So in, in small places, I mean, in small villages, 
they will hire like three to four hundred men hired by the government, given drinks and smoke to really drive them crazy. And they will go home by home to see if anyone was hiding. Civil people, not military, not police. So home by home to see if anyone is hiding. And every day they found somebody. And even when they didn't find somebody, they came back next day, just in case somebody might have come to hide there. So it was maybe the worst thing was to, to wait for them, to know that they are coming. They, I remember one time they came, which they came many times. And really, I can only say by the grace of God, they didn't see us. But the first time they came, they reached to the door of the bathroom. And I really had an encounter with my creator, with God, in a way that it changed my relationship with him. I remember in that moment when they were there, I was ready to give up. I mean, it's a four-bedroom house. How can, in our human capacity to imagine, think that they might not find you in the one tiny bathroom when there are three to 400 people? So I was almost giving up. I felt actually a part of me, you know, those kind of voices we all have, a part of me was saying, don't wait. Open the door. Why, why wait? They're going to find you anyway. And I really almost just opened the door. Then another part of me, I'm holding my rosary so tight. A part of me was like an angel. Don't open the door. Ask God to help you. Remember God, you know, he's almighty. Do you know what that means? It means he can do anything. Remember all the promises he said in the Bible? That those who believe or things are possible, this is up to you now to be that believer. If you have trust and you tell a mountain to move, it will move. If you just have little faith, as, as a Muslim said, I'm like, really, can I have that? Then I started to doubt. Is God here? Is he too far? Can he hear me? But then I remember what I was taught is that God is in everybody's heart. He can hear me from inside. He made me, and he made everybody for that matter. So I remember turning to God, and I had a choice. I always had the choice. Listen to the reasonable voice that said, it's over, it's too late, or the one that says, all things are possible. And I turned to the nicer voice in me, and I remember asking God, if you are there, if somebody created me, I'm begging you, don't let the killers find the door of the bathroom. If they don't find it today, I would know that you are there, and I will hold on to you. I will seek you. I will seek everything you said and try to put them in the practice. And after that, I fainted. It was really a miracle. Three hours, five hours later, the man came and opened the door and who was hiding us. And he gave us the news that they came and searched in the ceiling of the house, on the roof of the house, under the bed, in the closet. They even opened suitcases to see if there were babies. And then he said, at last they came to the door and they said, you know what, we trust you. You are a good man. And they turned around and left. And that's how they, we were able to survive. But there were signs that showed me that the battle is not mine alone. I, I need to trust that voice within. I need to trust a good voice that says, keep going, don't give up. You know, it, it's not just up to you, I'm here. And, you know, Immaculate, if you were having those thoughts, I'm sure the other women in the bathroom were as well. Yeah. Right? And I so think- remarkable, because I, 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 can, I can feel, I can't even imagine, right? But I can feel in my own, in my own struggles, oh, I'll, I'll just give up. Like, it's easier to give up. Right? Completely, yeah. It's easier yes. to give up. So... One of you women could have opened the door. I know, so much so. But you know, another thing I realized, it was almost like just like completely discovering life in a new way. So the first time, even if we didn't talk, I felt we were communicating, especially through our fear. So in the beginning, when I would look at them and we look at each other, sometimes you would hear somebody hear something outside and they would start to crumble, and all of us would crumble. Without even hearing what they hear. They would hear a move, and then they would shake, 
And then all of a sudden, when you are so scared, you can't even hear anymore. Blood is running through your mind and your brain and, and everything becomes blurry. You couldn't hear. I, at the time, I was so tired of that kind of like shaking of the fear pulling me to be scared. And I remember literally deciding, I'm not going to allow this to happen to me again. I'm going to pray because I cannot stand on me, on my strength. If I pray every second and they look at me scared, I'm going to show them like, no, we are okay, even if we can't talk. So I held them to the rosary and I'm like, God, you parted the water of the sea, you erected the, the, the bed, you opened the eyes of the blind. So I'm like focusing on these things that happened. You, you protected Daniel in the den of lions. And the more I thought about that, I can feel overwhelmed by the power of God, how big. And anytime somebody will be scared, then they will look at me and I will give the thumbs up, like, we are okay, we are fine. Not because I think we are, just because I think God can do it. Remarkable. And you went in there with just a Bible. Yeah, a Bible and the rosary my father gave me. And the rosary, rosary. really, it just represents what prayer to say, but it's really the, the summary of the Bible. So like, it's, it's the Bible I was reading, and when I wanted to say a long prayer, thinking of our Lord, you know, the mysteries, I would go to this rosary. Maybe it was all the Bible, yeah. Do you and s- referring to the Bible, yeah. Do you still have that Bible and rosary? No, sadly. But, you know, so the Bible was from the man. I gave it to him. Because even when we came outside of the bathroom in July, the war was not over really. We had to go through refugee camps, go through dangerous places. Until like a month later, that's when we landed, not land, like a plane. That's when we, we were able to kind of travel two months, two hours trip, like in a month, because there were just so many obstacles. And when I got to the city, it was like uh, end of August. And that's when I can say, okay, the world is over finally, four months later. Four months later. Well... Let's take you back to the bathroom and the day that you, uh, the host came in and, and eight, eight ladies and, and baby, really a seven-year-old walked out. What did you learn? Yes. You mean when we came out? When you came out. Mm-hmm. Ah, when we came out, the very first night, I still remember, oh, it was so hard. It was just unreal. I can't say it was harder than being in the bathroom. But when we walked out, we realized we have lost our weight. We were born. We were falling down. You know, you have to kind of like walk to fix a little bit your knees and your hips to walk again. And like a 10-minute walk from the man's house to the refugee camp where he took us at night, the very first night I reached there, I'm sitting with somebody, and he told me that the way he survived, he was actually a man hired him to be like a to cut wood in his house so he can't look like he was from the other tribe and he just kind of disguised himself to was just a worker and so he heard a lot of news of what was going on so i asked him if he knew anything about my parents and my my family and he told me he knew everything he told me one by one have been killed except a brother who was outside of the country my two my mom and dad my two brothers my grandma, my grandpa, my neighbors, my schoolmates, my best friends, everybody was killed. A million people was killed in a period of three months. Everyone was dead bodies. It was like end of the world. Everything we owned were destroyed and burned. Like it was hard, yeah, to imagine. So everyone, your whole family, all of your friends, your neighbors, everyone in your tribe, not everyone in the tribe, but everyone that you knew, they were killed. Yeah, yeah. everybody I knew in my tribe. Like, I remember when I left, there was like 10,000 people, two, two teams all together, were kind of running towards my parents. They were on a soccer field where they, my mom was a teacher. I, there's no one person. And these are neighbors. No one person who survived in that group, except me, my father sent before they killed them. So I still have few people, of course, I know, you know, who survived, who were away from the country, 
plenty of but or orphans. I have a cousin who lost seven brothers and sisters. Yeah. And uh, I have an uncle who also survived from his family and aunt. They killed her children in front of her. Yeah, a few people here and there, but yeah, but it was a disaster. Like you never thought it was possible. Never imagined in that kind of way ever even can happen. And how can you start if that happened? Yeah. The, the evil, like just the the absolute evil. How do you, how have you made sense of that evil? Not, I don't want to get into the forgiveness right now, but just mm-hmm. how do you make sense of that evil to kill a million people in three months? And it was, it, the, the government you know, that was their mandate, go out and kill members of the tribe, children, everyone. Like, how do you make sense of that evil? You know, that is also something definitely that taught me a lot. Of the decisions of people, the words we say, the decision one person can make. And you realize that either it's God and there is evil too. But I also realize that it's up to us individually what decision we take. One person can take a country down. And I believe that one person can take country up, and they have done. So I really became more responsible towards my actions, my words, and I also became more, you know, more in tune with God. Because, I mean, how do I know what is right except to be relying on God? not every time is clear or relying on a book of wisdom just to do what is right but I think every day matters every person matters and what do we do not because we belong to that tribe not because we belong to that country that race but every person is a decision they make but oh my goodness the dangers of our lack of love the dangers of our unkindness our anger they're so huge that they can just take down the whole country. And to this day, anybody in Rwanda who lived through the genocide is asking themselves, what could we have done? We wish we could have loved one another. We wish we, can have, we could have followed the Bible as a book, like a textbook from the school. For sure, this would not have happened. So, it's, yeah, it's an individual. I can't change country as a person I can't change anybody but I I know for sure I can change my heart so we can change the hearts of one people of one person right we we can and you've done that with your book and you've done that with your story Mm -hmm. your story is remarkable you had to go through incredible grieving anger in order to get to forgiveness but you got yes. to forgiveness. Let's talk about that. Yes. Oh, thank you. That, that was um, one of, yeah, heavy, big thing to do and to go through, but the best gift I think I ever got. So I went through anger. You know, obviously, you know, you things were done so unjustly. And I was, I was lost to just thinking, how can another human being hurt you this bad? How can somebody who knows how it feels like ever put another person through that. So I was angry. Then anger became became a sickness because when I think about it now, I was angry at those who were hurting us. But I ended up being angry at the whole tribe. I ended up being angry when I think about it at people who are not even born yet, at all innocent people. And maybe without even excluding the person who was hiding me. Because when anger was there, it was like a whole thing towards everybody. So I remember like my blood running faster, my, my heart beating faster. Out of the horrible thoughts I had in my head. And I was thinking, how do you get rid of this? How do you be happy again? I couldn't smile, but I thought that would happen when something like this is happening to you. They're looking for me to kill me. Not even shoot me, but kill me in a horrible way. My parents, my whole tribe, I hate them too. 
And the worst thing when you're angry like that, you want to do worse than them. Like, you hurt me, I will hurt you twice. So that was the kind of mind was there. And then it became an obsession. And, and it happens when you are hurt, especially for, there's a good reason for you to be angry, and you give in to, I gave in to anger, it, 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 it hurts even more. But you don't know how to get out outside of that. So within that anger I had, came a time of really amazing grace, I would say. So now that I have believed, the first time they came to search, when I saw that they didn't reach for us, and I was begging God, please help, help, and I felt like God was there, and I remember promising him, if they don't open this door, I will seek you all my life. So now that I had the Bible, I started to read. I feel like every page of the Bible was saying, love those who hate you. Otherwise, well, how would you be different? Pray for those who persecute you, who are your enemy. You know, I'm like, how, how do you do that? Forgive. How many times? Seven, 70 times. I think from what the Bible says. I can't even forgive one. And another thing I remember, I have read a lot since I was reading the Bible, like reading to learn life. I read a lot about heaven. Like we can't be made through this just to go through trouble and that's the end of the human being. There must be some something else better. We are too perfect to just be this messy. And I feel like I wanted to read about heaven. And I read a lot, like, oh, heaven is beautiful. I'm like, that's where we are meant to be. But in order to be that, I feel like God was saying, where well, I gave you all these directions now, love one another, pray for one another, help one another, follow my commandments. Then I'm thinking now, how can I suffer this bad and end up in a bad place? So I, now I was challenged to want to forgive because I didn't want to end up in a bad place once. Second, I didn't like how I was, I was feeling. My body was aching. I couldn't remember how to smile. I, I had a headache out of anger. I had a stomachache out of anger. My blood, my, I was sweating out of anger. I'm like, how do you get rid of this pain, even if I, I have a good reason to be angry? So with God, it was really a way out to think. I need to go to heaven. I want to, but I cannot fix to God who looks in my heart that I forgive when I don't. So I remember putting it to him and say, if you know how to forgive, and I believe you are there, help me out. Bring some reasoning in my head that I can understand. You are almighty, not me, you. You are God, I'm not. So I put the prayer out there, and I kept praying. And I remember it came through a moment I was praying a part of this prayer, which is a part of the rosary, a common, our Lord is prayer. That when my reasoning started to come, I remember went through the part and said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. And I said that prayer every day. After time, I started to skip that prayer, that part, because I didn't want to lie to God that I forgive mm. when I don't. And that I felt like good. Now at least I'm honest with my God. I'm doing my part. I can't lie to him. So I kept going through this prayer without saying that part until one day, it was like a revelation, like, you know, how we all grow. Even if we don't talk to people, I, I mean it. Our thoughts can make us inside. God has a way to reach out to inside and speak to us and bring new revelations, new lessons. So all of a sudden, you're like, wait a moment. This prayer I'm changing is Jesus who gave this word. The one I told a few weeks ago, I believe everything you say, and I will do my part, but I know he will do his, but only if I can also live honestly with my sight. But how do you tell God, I change your prayer, but it's okay, I'm not lying to you. Because if I believe he's truly God, he can't make a mistake. And if he says so, because he's God, he's above me, I'm only one who can make a mistake in this equation. So I remember again to another level, surrendering and going on my knees and put everything in his hand accepting my weakness, my lack of intelligence to even understand this. And I ask God, I will put back the prayer as you want. As you give it, please help me. You say, ask shall be given. Knock, the door will be opened. Seek, you shall find. I'm seeking. I'm knocking. 
I'm asking, help me. So I believe you that you will help me. I will do my part. Put it everything in the hands of God. I put back the prayer. I kept praying. Anytime I reach that part, I will remind him. I still don't know how to, but you, you know, I'm waiting. I remember I was meditating on a part of the rosary, actually, a part of the Bible when Jesus was dying on the cross. And I wanted to make it real as real as it can be because it was real and I have accepted to believe him fully. So if you want to believe, you know, going to go halfway, then everything is halfway. And I'm thinking, like, okay, so what happened? You were on the cross. He died for me to save me. But if you were God, why did you choose that path? Because I would never choose suffering. It was me. And then I felt like he was talking to me. Because I wanted to give you an example of what life on earth can offer. There will be suffering. Learn from me. I did not want to save you just by words, but by action. How did I behave when I was suffering? Even when I was on the cross. Did I insult anybody? Did I curse anybody? Did I want to hurt anybody? Follow me. I'm your perfect example. I'm like, you're right. Actually, even when nails were in your body, you are still forgiving people. You are still telling a thief you will be with me in a paradise without even reminding him the bad he did. I'm like, oh, how, how, how do you do that? And I remember what took me by surprise, the word that changed everything, when when he said, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they do. It wasn't the first part. It was the second part. I feel like by saying they don't know what they do, it was as if it was speaking to my heart personally. People who are trying to kill you, they don't get it. They don't even measure the consequences that will come to them. It's like a child playing with fire. They're touching the heart so, and not realizing after that you are going to burn bad. Jumping in a hole of fire without knowing how bad it's going to hurt you, and yet you see a nice yellow color, it's all red, how beautiful it looks like, but it's going to harm you. So I really was praying, and I still pray, knowing that even killers can find the light I found in that forgiveness, and then changed and became a loving person, not hating them, and actually really sad for the position I have taken before. And I was still in the bathroom. So I started to pray for them, knowing well it's possible they can change. Why? Because I was able to change too. And that changed everything. Oh, I was a new person. I can smile again. I was like a child in the hands of a mother. It changed everything. You know, it's fascinating if you read people's faces if you study people's faces many times, you can see old pain, trauma, anger in the lines of their faces. It's actually a study. It's a science. The Chinese have been mm-hmm. studying this forever, right? Yes. And Immaculate, we've met several times. You are stunning. You radiate love. Oh. and. Thank you beauty there's not a line on your face that would suggest any pain any anger any trauma the cleansing oh no it's it's everyone who is in your presence right uh you know we we had a, a small dinner and everyone there, it, it's not just me, everyone oh, it was, you. you know, commenting on how we are in the presence of love around you. Oh, thank you. And so the cleansing, like you said, you were unable to smile because you were, mm-hmm. you know, when you were so angry, right? The muscles in the face when you're not smiling or when you're smiling, that those are muscles, right? Yeah. So the cl- and they forget, they forget when you're angry that the other muscles are working, but it's bitter, it hurts inside. Exactly. And, and I can never, I can never blame somebody who is in that position 
I, I pray for everybody. I pray for those who are angry to find the light to let it go. Because when it seems so weird to be angry, like a solution, it's almost like you become blind too. And I was. So it's just, I'm so grateful again for people like you, you know, having this interview, just to share the light and, and an example of, of what can happen when we do, how possible to discuss this. But people who are still there, it's, you are a prisoner. And it's not your, mis- your mistake. It's, not, it's really like you, you need a hand to put you out of that, that, that prison. So thank you for doing what you're doing because people hurt a lot. And with good reason. They, they, they get angry, yeah. No, they do. And it had to be something supernatural, right? If, if one does not believe in God, just reading your story or hearing this podcast and understanding the transformation, the supernatural transformation that had to go on with your, your heart, right? And your, your anger and your emotions, because you're right, it is all blind, right? You're, you're blind when you're in that anger, you're blind when you're in forgiveness. And it takes, you know, something to take you to the other side. And not only were you taken to the other side, but it is a beauty from the inside and out. Your words speak love, right? Um, Your presence speaks love. And you were chosen as a messenger and your story, what you've been through is so horrific. You know, I think of my, you know, issues, not to minimize them, but, you know, if somebody's wronged me or I'm angry at something or I'm holding on to, you know, not forgiving somebody and I compare, which is human nature to compare my story with yours and say, oh my gosh, I want what she has. I don't want her story. I want her love and her presence and her forgiveness, right? Her ability to forgive. And if she's able to do it, I'm able to do it. And my story is nothing like hers. And that's, if nothing else, the message I get from your story, right? You know, you were elected selected right for for being this messenger this is an odd question but do you look back on your life before right and say thank you god for this experience like who i was before and who i am today i'd live through it again to become this person oh it's (laughs) that's a big question Wow. I never look at it like uh, this experience, I will go through it again, or thank you for that to happen, because I think God is also sad for what happened, for the choice we made, because he gave us a free will, and he's, protect- he's trying to protect us, to choose better. But for the lesson, for sure, I am eternally grateful, because I feel like differently, you know, if God wanted, it could have made me maybe grow up in a different way. But, you know, suffering has a way of teaching us a lot. Definitely. Beautiful. So let's fast forward a little bit. Um, you met your husband. You have several kids. You've become a public figure. Briefly, how did that all come about? Yeah, a lot of good has been happening. From the moment you hold them to God, suffering comes in life, you know. But there is also like a, I, I, like in your mind, remember the good even more than bad now. But yeah, I was very blessed yeah, to have my, to meet my husband, to have the most beautiful kids. You know, I'm, um, yeah, I'm very happy. So when it comes to, to publishing the book, I wrote the book in 2005. And uh, 2006, actually, that's when the book came out. But when I wrote the book, it took me the first draft, three weeks. And I wrote, I never knew about New York Times bestseller. I have never been in places where authors speak and sign. This doesn't exist in Rwanda. But I knew Barnes & Noble. I knew Amazon. You know, that's where you buy books. 
And my friends, I used to work with United Nations. We moved to uh, the U.S. in 1998. And my husband worked with the U.N. and I do. I did. So I worked with the U.N. and people would always ask me, you're from Rwanda. So are you this and that? What did you go through? And I would tell them. And I made it kind of my job, actually, to stop around in the offices, to speak to people who were kind of unhappy or maybe going through something difficult, crying, not joyful those days. I would speak to them because I wanted to share with them my story just to tell them it can get worse. It can be worse, be happy. Learn your lesson or take it well. Whatever you're going through, I don't know what it is. These are the people who tell me, write a book. Can you write a book? My mom is depressed because of this, and I wish to give her your book. I don't have a book. I don't even write books. I'm not a writer. I can't laugh at them. These people will again come about. Somebody will end up again telling me, oh, write a book. Can, can you have a book? So one day, I actually decided, let me write a book just for my maybe 10 friends who would like you know, to have something written they can share with their parents and brothers. So it took me three weeks to draft just three weeks to draft my first draft. When I finished, I felt like I put down a huge load. It was such a sweeter, bitter, you know, bitter experience just to pull out every memory. And sometimes I would be like, oh, I can write that. That's too personal. And then another part I was like, oh, you might never publish. You are just writing down things. I'm like, you're right. Let me just write and kind of play with this. Like completely say what it felt like. Kind of like bringing out this little thing. I wrote the book. I finished. And then I went back to it just to kind of review. I realized there were many, you know, spelling mistakes, little things I wanted to add because I said too quick what happened. It took me three months for the second draft. Oh, and that bad voice was back. Who do you think you are? You can't write a book. You don't even speak good English. This and that. You know, you never publish. You don't even know how they do it. So I'm like, I know. What's wrong with me? What, why did I think I can write a book? Because people say so. And I would stop. And then like a week later, in my prayer, I would feel like, God, again, I'm talking like Almighty is. I'm like, wait a moment. The God who was Almighty in that bathroom He's still here today. He can help me even now. So I started, I will eat like once a day or do like not eat sugar that day, just to do a little fasting every day, something. Again, not to give myself all the body pressure, not to eat too much, just eat enough that I'm full. And with a prayer, always. Forgiving everybody, like, God, please help me to finish this book. I don't know what you will do with it later, but it is in your hands. Just want to finish. I'm, again, talk about miracles. I mean, not everything happened to me so quickly and easy, you know, again, but I'm amazed by the miracles, the things that happened. I'm not kidding. Three days after I finished the book, I went to a workshop because a friend of me gave me a free ticket to go there. Again, never knew these things exist, where people are holding workshops, thinking about life, not about how they make planes, you know, or how to save a country, but thinking about being fearless, you know, about kindness, thinking about motivating your personal stuff. So I went to this conference, and they were being about being fearless, and I couldn't believe it how beautiful it was. And there, there was one of man who was a speaker among many who were there. And the man was standing outside of the, the conference, and the people were going to him. And first, I didn't know what they were doing. There were two people. 300 people, maybe 200. They were online. Everyone is waiting, going to him. I went to him. I'm like, what is he telling people? Why everyone is joining the line? So I joined the line randomly. This is three days after I finished writing the book. I just want to be like everybody to see what this man is telling people. So I reached to him. Before I reached him, I realized everybody was going to him to autograph their books. Mm. So I had to run back just to look like everyone to buy the book. And I came in front of him. He signed his book. His name is Wayne Dyer. He passed away a few years ago, sadly. He was such a good friend. And I, he signed his book. He had written to me, and I went to run. And he pulled me back. I was just like going so quickly. 
he pulled me back. He's like, how are you? I said, I'm fine. And he said, where that accent comes from? And he's, I'm like, I'm from Rwanda. And he said, do you know what happened there? You know, mm. are you Tutsi? Were you there? Were you here? Where is your parent? I mean, he talks to me every angle so that I would tell him the truth. <laughs> so I told him what happened. I mean, Tutsi, I was there. My parents passed, you know, they're in heaven. Who, who, where were your brothers and your sisters? Like, no, I only had brothers, but they also passed away, two of them. Oh, he was now like to stop everything I was doing. Everybody now was making a circle around us. And then it's like, what makes you smile after what happened to you? Like, there's God, and there's life after this, and I hope I can make it. <laughs> he looks at me again, he's like, have you thought about writing a book? <laughs> Oh, I just finished the book three days before that. How can somebody ask you when well, you are praying for God to help you publish, know how to do And three days later, somebody just shows up. And I was like, oh my God. But still, I didn't know it was going to be that person. But I told him, I, I started, I'm not done fully yet. And he gave me a promise right there. He said, I promise if you finish writing your book, I will publish it. Oh, and I was asking God. A week later, I contacted him. He introduced me to his publisher, to his editor. Eight months later, the book came out. Two weeks later, it was New York Times bestseller. I was literally asking people, what does that mean? Why is everyone calling me now? Why CNN is calling me? Why is the people are calling me? Like, what is going on? It's just, this is what happened in every book. Nobody told me. I would have written it before. So it was, I mean, I had to find out what happened, what, what a blessing it is, what God has done for me. I was told to design my job at the UN and by this, my publishers, I go, how much do you get paid? What would you, would you like to follow through your message because this makes you happy to share? I'm like, oh, I would give anything to be able to tell people what God has done and what anger does to people and that what forgiveness gives, you know, to people. So they're like, okay, there is a way to do that. So I threw myself in it. I designed, I thinking it's going to last a year. It had been 12 years. Every week, I, I literally, I, I go somewhere to share about my story. Amazing. And I love it. And I love it. There's nowhere else in the world I would rather do what else I would like to do than, than sharing. Um, so somebody who would tell you, I, I, one man told me one time, he said, I was angry for 54 years. So something that happened to him when he was young in a family, and somebody who heard him even passed away. But he said, after I heard you speak for the first time, I was able to speak in peace. And that means everything. Last week, last week, somebody, a lady told me, she was really crying very bad. She said, something terrible has happened to me. I had such anger. I've been in therapy for years. And she said, in the past tears, she said, finally, this makes sense. And I know what to do. I'm like, whatever that happened to you? What, is God doing it, not me? Because I don't even know what happened to you. But whatever is happening, I praise God for that. And I'm so happy for you. Because I am here because exactly that thing that happened to you is happening to you that happened to me. So you can't make sense of it, but there is somehow... The reasoning behind it. There's a sense you make of it. And then you realize that people suffer. I don't have to let somebody victimize me and hold me a prisoner for, for life. I already suffered with that. Now I'm going to let me be there. You know, they're done with what they did. But I am not going to give them that. To keep being angry. To be a bitter person. It's it's an incredible story. It's it's yeah. You're an incredible messenger. You know, Wayne Dyer, I mean, what are the chances, right? Wayne Dyer was a uh, incredibly successful published author, right? I, I mean, of course, it's, it was God. It was a miracle. Yes. I want to close real quick with um, the work that you do bringing people to your homeland of Rwanda yes. to oh, witness that transformation and how beautiful your con- your country is and how proud you are of your country and mm. the how you you've 
really, I think, in so many ways, been a catalyst for change and transformation in Rwanda. So speak to that for a few minutes. No, no thank you so much. You know, well, I am very happy for, and really proud of the country, as you said. You know, and I am not a politician, but I can see as somebody who was there before the genocide and who was there during when everything was destroyed and before when nothing was working really, just like we were working on our toes and hardly you can find a school to go to. And now like I go back and I'm like, what? We have more colleges? We more have more high schools? I mean, high schools have tripled. The number of colleges have maybe 20 times more. I'm like, how nice to be able to. It's like I'm proud of like a baby born growing and you can see it in front of your eyes. So I, I, I feel so happy. But saying that, it's a country in a, a third world, you know, country. It's a country that's poor in, in many levels. And many people, especially, still suffering. It's only 25 years later. Many survivors have not passed or done those steps I did. You know, many children has or either parents who died or parents who run away from the country because they killed people who don't want to face justice. So I still work with poor children, you know, who are lonely and whoever they are, whatever tribe they may be. And I pay school fee for them as proceed of my books goes to do that. I love churches. I, lo- I love churches. I really praise God for churches, for people who are still trying to speak and and remind people that we people can respect God. You know, we don't have to hear him and to be a part of it like a political party. You can truly be a good Christian and do amazing things if you listen to what is being told you, what is what what is in the Bible. So it, it I I help, you know, just sometimes fixing a church that is falling apart, but especially I'm helping with the children and the schools to build to make sure that kids are in a safe place. So I go back a lot to Rwanda, maybe five times a year, because I'm working with schools and some of them being rebuilt to see them finishing. Yeah, so I, I take people to visit, and I take also many, some donors who help me to, to take care of these schools. I take them to see what they, they their money has been doing. Immaculate, thank you so much for joining yeah. us today. I... I opened our time today by saying I think this is the one of the most important podcast recordings I've done and now at the end I have to say your message um it is it is such an incredible message and you're such a beautiful amazing representative of that message you're you live you embody that message I think that's the best way that I can articulate it you bring the best in people I am I I'm I just thank you for the work that you do and I know it's through you it's not about you I get that but you had you made the choice and for that that's that was the key. You made the choice because you could have chosen. So we, we do. You're right. We do. We, we have to say yes. We have to make the choice to or listen to, voice to listen to. Please let our listeners know how they can follow you online. Oh, thank you. So you can really go, people can go to my website, immaculate.com, my first name. And um, yeah, they can, and, and they can see the programs, the retreats, the travels I do for Wonder. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. Of course, and we will also uh, provide links on livingwealthyradio.com underneath the podcast and the recording. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, Immaculate, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye bye. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. Download or subscribe to our podcast to hear a new show every week. I am Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier.
Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.